What is happening, NBA fans? Uh, welcome to another week of Dropping Dimes. I'm your host, Matt Nost. Please excuse whatever audio uh, abnormal- abnormalities you may hear. Uh, having a little trouble on my end. So uh, I am. I came up with a solution that uh, it'll be rectified by the next show. But for today, we're using uh, headphones with a mic attached because... That is the easiest and quickest solution. Uh, so my recording equipment finally went kaput. So uh, got to replace that. It's coming. Anyway, on to today's show. Hopefully the audio isn't so distracting to take you away from all the sweet, sweet NBA discussion. Um, I mean, we'll get it out of the way. Uh, rest in peace, Paul Pierce. Uh, good for you. That clearly looked like a guy that uh, wanted to join, uh, you know, uh, his fellow retired players and not have to show up to the studio anymore because there is no reason to be posting strippers uh, at your house on Instagram Live unless you really just don't want to go anymore. You're sick of being on the jump. You're sick of getting dragged for your mediocre opinions um, or your uninformed. I mean, you could tell that he wasn't necessarily putting in the time to research a lot of it was just, uh, I played. So I know what I'm talking about, which is true, but you know, it, it showed through at times where he's making an opinion and then undercuts his argument. Like the next sentence later, the, my favorite was earlier in the season um, talking about the Sixers, you know, the fact that MVP or uh, that Joel and B being out and them struggling was proof of the fact of how valuable he was and how he should be in the MVP discussion. And the, the game he was talking about, the Sixers won. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's Shaq-itis, I like to say, where he's only casually paying attention to what exactly is going on. Um, but, I, you know, whatever the next uh, venture is for you, you know, he put out like a smile and he's, he's moving on to bigger and better things. Um, you know, I'm sure that he is, and given enough time, if he wants another job in television, uh, I, you know, next season, maybe the season after, he probably could. But I didn't find him so particularly engaging that it's a big loss. So I would guess then that, you know, uh, uh, ESPN, TNT, and the like would just move on to whoever the next big retired player is. So Paul Pierce is moving on to other things, and that is not – the uh, topic of the conversation, uh, Jeremy Bowers in the chat says, Paul went crazy and I love it. And Daniel Savile says, Paul Pierce out there living his best life. I wish I had weekends like that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know that it's necessarily every day is kind of the weekend for him on some level. Um, but my favorite was some, some dancer stripper. I'm not sure what, uh, Hit him up while he was live streaming on Instagram. He's like, come through. <laughs> we, we got more than enough room if you want to join us. Um, but have fun out there, Paul. Uh, enjoy your uh, second retirement. And uh, whatever comes next, uh, you know, hopefully it's a fruitful, fruitful endeavor for you. Uh, moving on. So today's discussion, we're going to lead off with the West heating up. And it's starting to get pretty interesting. So you have the Lakers slipping. They're four and six in their last 10. They won last night. Uh, but it, it's against, you know, the Raptors, the 11th seeded team in the East. Not a whole lot to crow about. They've got an upcoming uh, East Coast swing. They, given where their roster's at, it's going to be difficult for them. Um, Supposedly, according to Mark Stein, Anthony Davis is tentatively set to come back after this swing. So I guess hypothetically, it's either when they're playing Boston at home or it's the game after Boston. But somewhere around uh, April 16th or so is the projected date right now of Anthony Davis's return. And LeBron's is still nebulously defined as the end of April. Um, there's no target date that I've seen. So right now they needed them to go 
the rest of the Lakers, and I'm talking about the two stars needed them to go 500 while they're out, and they have not done that, and they have slipped down in the standings. They're currently sitting at fifth with the Blazers a game and a half back, the Mavs three games back, and the Grizzlies five and a half games back. And you're like, that's a relatively comfortable lead, right? But if in this next five-game stint, if they go two and three or one and four in that, you got to start worrying about the teams below you. And especially who I'm going to lead off the discussion with, which is the Dallas Mavs. The Mavs are on fire right now. They are heating up like nobody's business. So I went through, I did a deep dive on the numbers. And this is what I've got. I've got a page and a half of numbers. And I'm going to go through them as quickly as I can, because there's nothing more fun than listening to someone recite numbers. All right. So they started the season. They started the season off slow. Their win percentage was 381 over the first 21 games. They were eight and 13. Chris Stapps missed the first nine, which they the Mavs went five and four in, and then they went eight and thirteen in the next. Uh, you know, uh, pardon me, they went three and nine in the next twelve games, of which Chris Stapps still missed a few of those games as well. So within that run, here's how bad it was in that opening eight and thirteen stretch with their win percentage at three eighty one. And by the way. Luca looked out of sorts. He looked kind of out of shape in this early stretch. But here you go. Here are your numbers. They were dead last in three-point percentage. They were 28th in rebounds. So they're just getting – can't make a shot from outside, can't grab a, a rebound. They're 28th in assists, 23rd in points, 23rd in blocks, 23rd in effective field goal percentage. 22nd in offensive rating, 22nd in pace, 21st in true shooting, 20th in steals, 19th in defensive rating, and the 19th in net rating. So in that opening 8-13 and 13 stretch, they, I mean, they can't defend anyone. And on top of that, their offense, which is what they're supposed to be good at, was just atrocious. Just atrocious. And during that stretch, so, you know, as I just said, they were, say, 30th in three-point percentage, 28th in rebounds, 28th in assists, 23rd in points, right? All that jazz. During that opening stretch, Luka was second in points. Of all players playing 550 minutes total or averaging uh, 20 minutes a game. He was second in points. So they're 23rd overall, and he's second amongst all players, guards, forwards, centers, doesn't matter, second in all players. He was first in field goal attempts, but 44th in field goal percentage. And his three-point percentage was just bad. He started the season off just terrible. 70th player in the league under those those minutes restrictions that I put forth. Just because I wanted to, to weed out you know, all the guys at the end of the bench that are only getting, you know, a handful of minutes a night. And what if they go one for two over some of those minutes and then suddenly they're one of the best three-point shooters in the league? Like, that doesn't count. You're not Joe Harris. Um, but the weird thing is, so they were bad in rebounds and assists and blocks and steals and def- all the defensive metrics as individual players, you know, Luca was second in points. Uh, he was ninth in boards. Ninth. So they were that piss poor as a team in boards overall, but yet Luca is the ninth best player. He was number one overall during that stretch in assists, and yet they are in the bottom third as a team. Basically, he's getting no help. It, get, it goes on and on. He was 38th in steals and 22nd in blocks. So he's still, his offensive numbers weren't great, but his defensive numbers were solid as hell, especially for, you know, the primary ball handler on the team. And, you know, the other stats don't help him, like his effective field goal percentage and his true shooting, like effective field goal, because he was shooting so piss poor, he was uh, number one in field goal attempts during that stretch. 
but his effective field goal percentage, because he was shooting so poorly from three, he was 199th in the league. So his offensive woes, even with that being the case, he still got to the line a tremendous amount, and he's still second overall in points, but he's getting no help, right? So Chris Tops comes back, and now, and, you know, since then he's missed, I think, seven games total since that opening eight and 13 stretch. But since then they've gone 20 and eight, a seven, uh, 14 win percentage. And in that stretch as a team, they're third in three point makes fourth in attempts, which is excellent. Uh, they're fourth in effective field goal percentage, fourth in true shooting percentage, fifth in net rating, sixth in offensive rating, seventh in three point percentage, 10th in points, 15th in boards, 16th in defensive rating. uh, And, you know, so getting the additional support of Chris Stapps, it opens up a lot of the spacing and what they do. And during this stretch, they've been shooting lights out. Luca has rounded into shape and starting to look really good. And what this means for the West is, depending on where you look, like you can go to ESPN or there's a site called Tankathon. Uh, there's a few others where you can look at strength of schedule for the remaining season. And by any estimation, the Mavs have either the easiest schedule to close out or the second easiest or the third easiest, but it's somewhere within that mix. ESPN has them as the easiest schedule to close. And for a team like the Lakers, which is struggling, the Mavs, over the next next five, six-game stretch, if AD is going to be out and they go one and four, two, two and two and four, whatever the case is over that five to six games, and the Mavs have the easier schedule, they're playing much better basketball right now. What was before a three-game difference between them and the Lakers is completely evaporated. And suddenly they leapfrog over. So the Lakers need to begin. I'm sure they're already internally worrying and fans, their fans are worrying, although their fans should take solace in the fact that come playoff time, you still have AD and LeBron. And if they're healthy, that is a tough out for any team. And, you know, they picked up Ben McLemore in the buyout market. Not all, doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot, but they've already had a little bit of discord with Marcus Gasol saying, in essence, that he's not exactly happy being demoted to the second unit because they already have a tremendous amount of second unit guys after they picked up Andre Drummond. Now Gasol has gone back to the starting lineup in some of these games. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where this ends up in the wash, but with Dallas surging in conjunction with Dallas, you've got Memphis and Memphis in their last 10 has gone seven and three. They're playing above, you know, the preseason expectation as to where they would end up. And at the end of the month, they're set to get Jaron Jackson Jr. back. Now, it could, it should more than likely, because it's been eight months since been off with the meniscus tear. It's It should take him time to round into shape. You know, he's not up to game speed. It's an injury that normally takes three to six months to come back. And he's at eight months and still, it's going to be the end of the month is projected. But he's the GM came out and said end of the month. And then he was interviewed two days ago after practice, two or three days ago, saying end of the month. That's what the doctors are saying, the medical staff, front office. That's how I feel. Um, and my guess is he feels like he could probably play a little bit sooner, but they're going to ease him back. Now, question becomes, does that really help them? Because they've gotten used to playing without him. I am just going to go ahead and assume so that he's not going to kind come out full bore and slowly reacclimate himself. But that's a problem for, you know, those teams above them because they're sitting at 25 and 23 right now. And they're, you know, four games out of not having to do the play in, but if they continue with this surge, they're on a three game tear uh, win streak right now, seven and three overall over the last 10 and they're trending in the right direction. And they, along with the Mavs, can continue this upward escalation. Now, I think San Antonio at ninth, I think they continue to slip a little bit and a little bit. 
And Golden State is up and down. You have no idea what you're going to get. As others have pointed out, when Curry is on the floor, they're, you know, top middle offense in the league, somewhere around 13, 14, 15 in that ballpark. And you take them off, and they're the worst offense in the league, hands down. It's not even close. So the on-off numbers without Curry. And that's also because, like, Draymond's effectiveness is really highlighted when Steph is in there. Uh, because when he's not like Draymond is just not willing to shoot and it doesn't look like he's got any kind of shot left and Wiseman is still up and down. Don't know what you're going to get from Oubre on a night to night basis. Wiggins is pretty solid. As Steve Kerr said the other day, you know, he eats innings and that's really key. The guys rarely have ever, uh, out of the lineup and he plays, you know, you can consistently rely on him for X, but Golden State being up and down, you got to worry about, New Orleans, and even Sacramento uh, behind you. Golden State's a game and a half up on New Orleans, but I wouldn't put them out of the mix, and they're two games up on Sacramento. I think the only ones really out of it at this point in the West, technically speaking, are Houston and Minnesota and quite possibly OKC, but I've seen crazier things from OKC, and what I like about them is they at least know – kind of who they are and what they are. Uh, whereas the Rockets, I don't have any I don't have any clue what in the world that team is. And the T-Wolves, I mean, they're so far back right now, even getting D'Angelo Russell back. I'll be intrigued as to what that does to Anthony Edwards' development overall to see what that trio core is. That being said, I have not watched a Timberwolves game in a long time. And unless they start to get super interesting, I don't intend on watching the T-Wolves game uh, anytime in the near future, potentially through the rest of the season. Uh, I am indifferent to that team, just like I am the Magic and the Pistons. I don't really care at this point. But, you know, the Mavs are heating up. And Memphis should be heating up. And who knows if New Orleans begins to light a fire or Golden State. I think that the top pecking order of the West is kind of solidified on some level. I don't see those teams slipping out. You know, Denver's got a relatively easy schedule to close out, and they're playing great. The addition of Gordon to that team, um, he fits a lot, exactly what they need. And, you know, as he's quoted as saying, uh, yesterday or the day before, these are the easiest buckets I've ever gotten in my career. And I believe it, man. The way they pass that ball around, they're a lot of fun to watch. And he's a great addition at a cheaper price, too. And somebody that wants to be there. Unlike Jeremy Grant, who wanted out. He wanted to be the primary of a team. And uh, man, potentially that works uh, for them with Detroit. Um, between him and Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay looks legit. And that's a great rookie pickup for them. Um but, you know, Denver is trending in the right direction. Utah's got one of the easiest, if if not, depending on who you look at, they could have the easiest schedule to close out. At one point uh, a few weeks ago, they had the projected easiest schedule to close. But, I mean, that all changes with if a team that you're going up against in two weeks suddenly wins a bunch of games and their win percentage goes up, then it affects your strength of schedule, obviously, then when you play them. They're, they're a tougher team today than they were when that was projected. Um, but the Jazz have a relatively easy schedule. The Suns are playing really good basketball right now. Uh, the Clippers are kind of firing in all, all cylinders. Um, let's see how it plays out long-term with the addition of Rondo, but having a general out on the floor and somebody who can be an architect for what that offense does can only really help. I mean, they've gotten more games consistently from their duo uh, where both have looked good. And right now, Paul Pierce, but not Paul Pierce, <laughs> got him on the brain. <laughs> Paul George, uh, although Paul George might be throwing a party like that himself. Uh, <laughs> I just don't know if he posted on Instagram live. Um, Paul George is shooting, if you take a mere coffee out of the mix, Paul George is shooting the third best percentage from three on the team, which is great to see for him and for the Clippers' future. Um, I think it's 432 is what he's shooting right now. Marcus Morris is number one. Or no, uh, Luke Kennard is number one. Marcus Morris is two. And then Paul George, if you take out Amir Coffey, is number three. But 
at a fairly high usage. I think it's seven shots, seven, seven and a half shots a game, and he's shooting that high a clip. But between him and uh, Kawhi, you know, you're getting like 50-ish points from the two of them on efficient shooting night in, night out. That makes them a tough out. Um, so I think those, you know, those four teams at the very top, I think are all trending in the right direction. They're all playing really excellent basketball right now, which means it's going to be tougher for someone like the Lakers if they continue to slide like this, because in that opening round right now, they'd have to play the Nuggets, which is going to be a tough matchup for them. Uh, but if AD and LeBron are healthy, then you kind of got to go with the proven track record there. Um, but they slip down to say sixth once playoffs start. That'd be up against the Clippers. Clippers are playing really excellent basketball right now. And you still have to reintegrate over the last two weeks of the schedule for the Lakers with the new pieces that they, they have and whatnot. I mean, if LeBron comes back at the end of the month, say it's in April, he comes back. Uh, and we'll just say that they're going to go through the May schedule. That's two, four, six, eight, nine games. And then the playoffs start. So nine games to get LeBron and AD back into kind of game shape in the mix. Um, so you've added a couple guys. Your team has been up and down. Perhaps they're staring at the fact that uh, you guys are, you know, slowly going to come back and uh, the reintegration of the two of you will right the ship. But that's asking a lot of a team that without them, their confidence has to be shaken a little bit. Um, and I'll be intrigued that if AD comes back without LeBron, is that going to be enough? Because you know, historically now, especially last season, the on-off when LeBron was on versus off, if AD was just out there, their offense wasn't electric or anything. So would the the addition of AD make a difference for them? And would it help stabilize their shakiness quite possibly? That's why I'm fearful of the Jaron Jackson coming back that late in the season when Memphis has kind of an identity without him, it's great to get your second best player back at all times. But if he hasn't played in eight to nine months at that point, it's going to be a slow reintegration process. And will that throw a monkey wrench into the works and kind of, you know, uh, create a hiccup, and the identity of what has gotten you to this point in the season, or will it just be a, it's awesome to have him back. And he is going to give us, you know, with each passing game, a little bit more and a little bit more, a little bit more. And as we get into the playoffs or potentially the play in game, it'd be good to have him back. But if it's a slow integration and they go to that play in game, you know, by rights, he's going to be amped up and want to be an integral part of that game. And you almost want to kind of hold him back a little bit. Uh, just because you've gotten tried and true performance from the other guys on your roster. So it'll be intriguing, but Dallas and uh, Denver and uh, Memphis and a few other teams are all trending in the right direction. And the Lakers are kind of spiraling. Um, but it's nice to see from Dallas that they've, you know, reacclimated and gotten back to doing what they do best. Now, Defensively, they still have trouble there. And when it comes to actual championship potential, if you can't defend anybody, then the system of outscoring every opponent doesn't really pay dividends in the playoffs. You need to be able to play defense. You need to stop the other team. Getting a bucket is important. But at the same time, if you can't stop the other team uh, in the slightest, and you're one of the, the worst teams out there, then you've got no real shot at winning a championship. Now, perhaps they flip a switch when it comes to playoff time and the urgency of it, whatnot, and they start playing better defense. Yeah, potentially, but the track record of what we've seen this season doesn't really pretend for that uh, for the future. You know, if you read the tea leaves, it looks like 
they'll be able to score a bunch of buckets and not be able to stop much. So it's not like they're a real championship threat, but I think the top four teams in the West right now genuinely are. I mean, if Utah continues to shoot like this and Bogdanovich has kind of gotten out of his slump a little bit, but right now by effective field goal percentage, I think Joe Ingles is the best player in the league. (laughs) So you kind of want him shooting as much as humanly possible. And it's, when you you look at their roster and the overall stats within the league, it's like they've got a bunch of guys right now who are playing at the height of their potential between him and Conley and uh, Donovan Mitchell. And then you still have the interior pre- presence of Gobert and once, you know, uh, Jordan Clarkson in that six-man role, Bogdanovich, if he can get out of that uh, slump overall, if this new trend is what we all assume he is. Um, there, I mean, Utah's future looks pretty damn bright. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we're only a month, a little over a month uh, away from the start of the playoffs. And it looks like we got some devastatingly interesting matchups um, early on. I mean, the, the play-in games as they stand right now, it's going to be Dallas versus Golden State and then Memphis versus the Spurs. Uh And the Spurs and uh, Golden State both need to win two games. That's the way the play-in game works. The 9-10's got to win two games. The 7-8 just got to, you know, just need to win one. Um, But then after that, say say you just take the higher seed in that, it's Utah versus Memphis. That's a lot of fun. I'm tuning into that. Um, And then Phoenix versus Dallas. That's a boatload of fun. Then we got Clippers versus Blazers. Uh, I'm very intrigued by that. And the Nuggets, uh, Lakers. I mean, those are four excellent series that I'm excited about right now if if everything holds true. Now, the East, the flip side of that, not so much. Not so much. Um, You know, the 9-10 spot, you've got the Pacers and Bulls. Neither team you should fear in a seven game in a one-off night. Yeah. They can, both teams have the potential to, uh, to win a game against anybody by and large in the East, but a seven game series, they're just going to be outmatched by and large. Uh, and then after that, like if, if the top holds it's Sixers versus the Celtics fun series, but the Celtics, like their energy is up and down. No clue what you get from them night in night out. And the lack of urgency um, is disheartening for the amount of talent that they have. And it looks like as of right now, Brad Stevens' job is safe. Danny Ainge has come out and uh, basically said as much. They're not going to make a change at the head coaching position because if they fire Brad, I think, uh, you know, 20 other teams would snap him up immediately. There's very few teams that if he was out on the open market, wouldn't swap him out for what they have. Then you got Brooklyn versus New York. That's an awesome matchup. I really hope that holds um, a subway series, but no chance in hell. The Knicks can, can hold up against the Nets. Just no chance. Um, especially with Durant is coming back tonight. Uh, and, if you look at their numbers, basically so long as they've got Harden and everybody else, they're still difficult to deal with. Now, if Harden's out and it's Kyrie in his place, it's a team that is easily beatable. But you get Harden and Durant, and Kyrie, I think at this point, realizes he's third fiddle. They're going to be a monster for anybody. Bucks heat, that's a lot of fun. And... You know, last year, uh, for an opening round, I would have favored the Bucs. But if we're going later, you know, it started favoring, being like, man, this Heat team playing really well, has a sense of identity. The Bucs kind of shrink in the playoffs. And this year, I actually think the Bucs are a little bit different. I like the fact that they're not number one overall uh, in the East. Their point differential net rating puts them as the best team in the East. But the addition of Drew Holiday, just have somebody else shoulder the load when you need a bucket late. Um, cause it was too easy to scheme for them. 
and the fact that Budenholzer has been uh, more fluid with lineups and kind of seeing a little bit more with what he's got. And then after that, you'd have uh, the Hawks versus Nor- uh, Hornets, and LaMelo could be back at that point. That's so weird that that's the 4-5. or five. I, I, I didn't think the Hornets would make it into the playoffs on the preseason projection, and the Hawks, I figured, would sneak in. He'd be sitting at the fourth at 27 and 24 right now. It's pretty impressive. Um, but let's go over to the, the, uh, the comments on the side and see what everybody is saying. Um, Daniel Savo says Lakers end up in the bottom eight and they're going to have problems. Yeah. I think if, if they slipped all the way to nine, 10, they've got a real problem just because it's, they've got to win two. And if they have one bad night of those two games, um, they're out. And the NBA does not want that because they want the Lakers in there. They want LeBron in there. He equals ratings. Uh, personally, uh, I'm sick of LeBron. But it's not me being a LeBron hater. I just now I understand all the people that rooted against my Bulls in the 90s, which to me, I was a younger kid. It was unfathomable. I was like, this is the best. He's the best player. But now it's like, I just something different. Please, a different storyline. I would love to have that. Um, but he equals ratings, so you know the NBA wants it to happen. Jeremy Bauer says, Luka heating up, showing out damn straight. Uh, Muzaffer Han. Let me know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, M-U-Z-A-F-F-E-R. I have never seen that name. What an interesting name. Anyway, Mavs took a big hit from COVID. They lost five key rotation players and no games postponed. They did. And now they've got Porzingis out with a wrist thing. Uh, Kleber with like a calf strain. They've got some guys out, but given that their schedule is easier and I think that their confidence as a team has grown overall, uh, I think that they can, they can weather this current injury storm, but the COVID hit. Yeah. That didn't do them any favor. Um, uh, JJ Davi says, will Suggs be the number one pick in the NBA draft after his performance in the tournament? I don't know. I don't know. I don't follow uh, college. So I leave that up to the people that know that best. Otherwise, it's just speculation by my part. And I'm I'm just regurgitating other people's opinions, having not watched the games. And I feel that that's kind of inauthentic. Like coming into the draft last year, I only liked three players by uh, reading scouting reports, seeing clips, watching highlight reels of them uh, in college. And... Of those, those, those three players were, I liked the Wiseman at the top. LaMelo, I didn't know. And when you looked at his numbers, it's like he gave two shits about defense uh, in New Zealand. And that's not going to translate well. And he was the worst player in the New Zealand league in pick and roll defense. And you're like, uh, the, you know what the NBA loves to do is run pick and roll. Um, so that's what not watching the games gets you. I, doing an assessment just based solely on the numbers. And the numbers indicated, yeah, the guy can pass, but... I question all these other things and like, I was wrong. Um, so anyway, it was Wiseman. Um, I just liked a lot of his raw athletic ability. Uh, Obi Toppin as an Amari 2.0. Uh, I wasn't saying he was going to be, you know, an instant all-star or anything like that, but it's like that dude knows exactly what he does. And that should translate really well in the NBA. And then Pokashevsky. Um, Cause I, I literally watched, one game highlight uh, reel. And then I was like, who is this guy? And then I started watching nonstop. And what you would watch is he'd come down the floor and do a play that was amazing for a dude his size. Amazing. And then come down the next time down and do a play that was wildly stupid. <laughs> like, well, listen, if you could just tamp down on the errant passes and the being prone to turnovers, he has a feel for the game that is impossible to teach. And at his size with that kind of shooting stroke, this dude is legit. Um, And so far he's given those highlights in the NBA. He's made some passes that have been just stellar and doing step backs. He had a little uh, one footed baseline floater a couple of nights ago. That was gorgeous. Uh, but there's still growing pains. He needs to grow into. He also needs to put on a little meat on those bones to weather the storm of a full NBA season. Uh, but I'm glad that the few hours that I spent 
looking at clips of him, as many as I can find, are starting to, to pay off. I wasn't wrong on that one. Uh, Obi Toppin, I think, is still, you know, what you're, you know, he is what he is. And I don't know that he'll be anything other than Amari 2.0. Uh, but Wiseman, I think it would be a little bit more consistent um, at this point. I still think it's too early to tell. He's such a young kid. Uh, but I know some people are pushing back saying you can't keep making excuses for him uh, when he's the second overall. I just think that his college career was what, two games? So basically he's straight out of high school and at the center position that takes time to adjust in the NBA level. He overcommits on uh, uh, defense sometimes, like jumps too early for a block and his only choice at that point is to foul or get out of the way. Uh, just does things where he's 19 and he's unaccustomed to not being the best player on the court. So give him a little time. He'll round into shape. But uh, to your question, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, uh, JJ. Um, so Jeremy Bauer says, had the Lakers kept most of Last year's team, they would have easily repeated. Too many new pieces and players like Gasol don't understand their roles. I don't know, though, man. When they made those additions in the offseason, I thought they got deadlier. I just think they, when you lose LeBron for the longest stint of his career, I'd have to go look, but I'm pretty sure that's accurate off the top of my head. And AD, AD gets hurt. That's just what he does. A guy his size, the human body was not meant to be that big and play a sport. So to lose him is understandable. And actually getting him that rest is probably a good thing. Hopefully it is just a calf strain and not an Achilles thing. Uh, Cause you don't want to see any long-term damage for him. But personally, like on the outside looking in the, the preseason, I was like, they got stronger and I like this team to repeat quite a bit. It's just when you lose the identity of your team for this long, it's tough to weather that storm. And then you do the buyout market additions and then that throws another spanner in the works. Um, so, I don't know. They're not dead yet. Uh, Johnny Shoemaker says, do you think the Bulls are better running the offense through Zach or through Vooch? Just joining live, so not sure where the conversation is. LOL. Well, we haven't really talked about the Bulls. Um, I think it's right now, it's uh, figuring out the dynamic of the team. I mean, last night, the offense clearly went through Vooch. They got a nice W, a commanding one. Uh, but, you know, it took... 29 shots, if I'm remembering the stat line off the top of my head, um, to Levine's 14 or so. And um, what I do like from this is marketing, you know, coming off the bench and not getting any real starter minutes. And it seems to not have crushed his spirits. He's still playing really strong in those minutes. I think it's if you I think the the offense is more dynamic if it's run through Levine, it's more consistent if it's run through Vooch. Just because it's repeated pattern of the same type of move over and over again. Um he's a good passer if you could turn him into a Jokic, but the problem is his Vooch is 30 at this point, so it kind of is what he is. Um but if his passing was a little bit better then I have zero problem running the offense through him. But I would hope it's kind of a back and forth between the two, and we exploit the best matchup that we have that night. So if you're going up against somebody that has no real interior presence, then let's feed the ball into Vooch and just punish that team. Whereas if you're going up against the Sixers, all right, well, although in that instance they got Simmons, and Simmons you can put on Levine, so you need somebody like White or uh, Markinen or – you know, whoever it is, Sadoransky, Thad, um, to step up in their place. Philly's probably not the best, but uh, let's say the Nets, okay, feed it in uh, down low and make LaMarcus try and stop Vooch or DeAndre, or if they're going to play small ball lineup at the end of the game with KD at the five. Um, <clears throat> although I don't think that they'll do that now if you've got LaMarcus in there. But we'll see long-term with KD coming back tonight. I'll be uh, intrigued as to what the lineup is and where the minutes go. Um, but as per your question, I don't know. I think it's too, too early to, to tell. Um, 
Yeah, Shoemaker says what basically I was laughing about internally. Paul George would throw the same party as Paul Pierce and marry the girl, which is uh, what he did, if you don't know. He uh, he knocked up a uh, an exotic dancer, and he married her. Um, and I'm not judging that. So be it, man. You found love. Um, so hopefully you're happy and uh, the kids are all healthy. Uh, but yeah, I don't... Uh, I wonder what would happen in his household if he had a party like that. Does she get upset? Maybe, knowing that he fell in love with the stripper previously. Um, or maybe she's secure in that. No idea. And I'm not going to sit here and speculate. But, uh, yeah, might might just. Um, Jake Cleveland asks, uh, out of nowhere, curveball, I wonder if Derrick Rose will get in the Hall of Fame. As of right now, I don't think so. To his credit, he's got an MVP. And it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, um, not the NBA Hall of Fame. So making a national championship game coupled with the MVP in the Bulls run and then the second half of his career. Like At this point, I think the only thing securing him getting in would be longevity. So if he ends up playing, you know, into his late 30s and is a consistent individual, but Unfortunately, I think Derrick Rose will be the first ever MVP that doesn't make the Hall of Fame. Sucks. After, you know, the record of being the youngest to ever win it in the future looking so bright. And you know what sucks about that? The night before he got his uh, injury, I I was talking to a friend, and uh, I won't name drop, but you know who it is. to comedian and he's like dude i was just sitting courtside and he was like he's when he pulls up for a jump shot or layup it is so violent to watch as he just jackknifes straight into the air because you could really see it sitting that close the amount of force he was like it's really impressive but i fear for the long-term health of his knees and uh the next night or the next game he blew out his knee and I saw him, and I was like, "You son of a bitch! What did you do?" He's he's a Knicks fan, and he, it's kind of like a. I knew he didn't mean it because his team at that point had been bad for so long. It's not like he was wishing ill uh, on my squad. Um, but we were both lamenting because we're both huge fans of the guy. He's, he was a revelation to watch. I at the time when the Bulls drafted him, I didn't. I wanted uh, uh, Michael Beasley. Because I was like, dude, we have, we got Kirk Heinrich, we got Chris Duhon, we got, we've got point guards for days. And I, the only game I had seen of his was the national championship game. It's like, you can't even make a free throw. Like, is he athletically explosive? Sure, but you know, what is he going to do in the NBA? And that's one of those where if you don't watch enough college, you just don't know. Um, and then, uh, by all accounts, like his workout was. So wildly impressive. It was a no-brainer. And then I was like, all right, I guess we're taking this guy. I was still looking at Beasley going, he seems like the choice to me. Uh, and then you watch him in the pros and be like, nah, I was uh, I was dead wrong. Um, you know, you get some right, you get some wrong. Kevin Durant uh, over Greg Oden I thought was a no-brainer. Just like, dude, seven-footer that can shoot from everywhere. And Greg Oden has one leg shorter than the other. That's in the discussion. Got that one right, but my own team, Derrick Rose, I wanted Beasley. So, no idea. But to your question, I do not think Derrick Rose will end up in the Hall of Fame, and that hurts. Um, It sucks, man. I was five minutes from meeting him one night, and uh, it still upsets me to this day. Literally walked in uh, to the comedy store because I had a spot. Um, And uh, another friend of mine who's a – it works there. He's a bartender. And he's like, dude, you just missed Derrick Rose. He just walked out the front door. And I was like, oh, and he's a Chicago uh, native and he's a Bulls fan. And uh, the look on his face is like, I-, I got a picture with him if you want to see the picture. And I was like, I don't want to see your fucking picture, man. Just upset. Not upset at him. Upset of literally missed him by five minutes because I would like to shake his hand and be like, dude, you, you are so much fun to watch. Thank you for being a Bull. Uh, type of thing. Just the 
platitudes of what do you say to a guy that you've never met, they're never going to meet again, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, um, let's see. So is it, is it pronounced Muzaffer? Muzaffer? Muzaffer. It's a, he said it's a, it's a Turkish name and greetings from uh, Turkey, Izmir, Turkey. You know what sucks uh, because of COVID, my friend? Uh, I was supposed to go to uh, Istanbul last year, uh, flirting with potentially going in the fall at this point. Um, my wife and I are debating between going to South America or going to uh, Turkey and uh, Egypt. Not really sure yet. Uh, but if you guys are thinking about traveling, it is cheap as shit to, to travel anywhere if you lock it in right now. And we're thinking about doing it. Uh, can get to, uh, I can get to Istanbul cheaper than I can get to five South American countries right now. So uh, Istanbul is, uh, might be a leader on the, uh, might be number one on the leaderboard right now. But uh, thank you for joining us from, uh, from Turkey. Says he loves uh, dropping dimes in the top 10. Appreciate you turning in, man. Um, this party's over as if I play fantasy basketball. I do not. I think the, the season is just too long for me. Even though I follow night in, night out, um, I spend enough time absorbed in all the, the machinations of what teams are up and down, what players are doing well. I, I realized that would translate well into fantasy, but to have another thing to obsess about on top of this um, just doesn't seem healthy. That's why I like the NFL. It's once a week. Well, now with Thursday game, which sucks, and then Sunday and Monday, and they're talking about with the new streaming services, uh, Saturday, adding in a consistent Saturday game. I'm not exactly excited about that because Thursday game is so terrible. I don't want a Saturday game. I wish it would just be a Sunday, Monday, personally. Um, Jeremy Bauer says Lakers are missing Rondo. I kind of agree with that, but we'll see how it plays out uh, in the playoffs. And then Joey Anthology said, it's really cool to be excited about the Bulls basketball again. Uh, I agree. We're not a great team, but we're at least interesting. And that's something to be said. My hat is wonky. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here is uh, something that, like, to put, put a seed in your minds out there as basketball fans. So the current TV deal runs up after the 24-25 season, and the deal is for $24 billion overall. And it averages out to be 2.4 to $2.6 billion per year, right? But after the NFL's $100 billion deal, the new projections after that are for three times this. The projected next deal starting in the 25-26 season is $75 billion, threefold over what they make now, threefold. Now, will they learn from the mistake of the past of instead of doing the smoothing technique, they just straight injected all this extra money in. So then guys started getting wildly paid outside of their overall value to the league itself just because teams were flush with cap money and they had the foolish you know, idea of we're all, you know, this money's uh, the projected cap is always going to rise, and we're always going to have all this extra cash and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to that twenty million dollar, twenty five million dollar, you know, jump one season. So your Tyler Johnsons and whatnot got wildly overpaid because their contract ended at precisely the right time. So this next one is going to triple the amount. So somebody like James Harden. This year, instead of making his 30 million, we'll be making 120 million. And by the end of his contract with the Nets, if the current, uh, if the future pay was at current, you know, if you just multiply by three, by the end of his contract with the Nets, they'd be paying him $140 million a year. So, which is an obscene amount. And I'm not saying he's not worth that. Like somebody like LeBron, 
I think when people push for just doing away with the uh, max salary and saying a guy should be able to get what he is worth to that team on the open market, and then they have to make the calculus of there's still a salary cap, but if you want to spend 70% of your salary cap to pay a player like LeBron, perhaps that's worth it to you. And if you look at the financial impact he had on, say, Cleveland, it's really dramatic of when he was there and he goes to the heat, and then when he comes back, the boon to the downtown economy, it was worth billions of dollars to the surrounding businesses, let alone to the Cavs themselves. So somebody like LeBron, I think, is worth that 140 or whatever he's potential uh, potentially projected to make. But then the flip side of that is the rookie contract scale. Anthony Edwards, the number overall pick, number one overall pick, would be making 29.2 million straight out of college. And in the late 90s, the reason there is a rookie scale now is guys were signing obscene contracts before they'd ever played a minute because there was no restriction on that. So if you projected the value of him saying this guy is going to be a cornerstone of our franchise, they were getting $100 million contracts before they really put up anything in the league to justify getting that. Um, So they wanted to take that away so teams weren't completely hamstrung by that, but also incentivize those rookies to play for a huge deal. And not to say that if Anthony Edwards, you know, if he were to be signing number one overall in the 25-26, the 29.2 would completely demotivate him. But at the end of that rookie scale deal, he'd be making 52.7. Unless, yeah, you're dangling the carrot of, do you want to jump that up from 52 point whatever to 150? Uh, Perhaps that is motivation enough. But once you get past a certain point, the numbers kind of become meaningless on some level. You're already set for life. And you already have generational wealth. So I saw, um, I saw the Reddit, uh, pardon me, I saw the article posted on Reddit um, over at the RMBA, which is, if you don't uh, use, I thoroughly recommend uh, RMBA. Um, I also like uh, basketball reference and hoops hype, uh, cleaning the glass. And then there's, there's 50 others as well. But those are the, the ones I consistently go to uh, the most and NBA.com, their stats functionality is pretty pretty good. Um, I never read the articles on NBA.com. I literally just go there for standings and for stats. That's all I use it for. Um, but I still use it. Uh, anyway, so post it on there, and there was an interesting comment when you started going through it. What if you took that surplus? And basically just created an investment fund. So then, after the duration of that TV contract, as you've accrued this wealth. So if you took the, if it does triple, right? If you just maintained salaries. Now, now this is me adding to what the individual said. Um, But his was, if you took, his idea was, if you took it, created an investment fund, and then paid out fans' dividends from that. And I think there was a supplemental compliment to that saying then they could reinvest and create their own streaming platform and be a kind of a destination for uh, fans to go to and pay their subscriptions and then just cut out the streaming service middleman. Um, I'd be intrigued as to whether or not that would generate uh, more wealth. But what I do think would be interesting is if they took that that extra, right? That, that two-thirds, that We'll just call it $50 billion overall over the lifespan of that 10-year-ish contract. Created an investment fund. Then those guys that in essence paid in, now you're getting a seven-figure dividend every year for the rest of your life, more than likely. You have a guaranteed income once you retire of seven figures. Then they could also then uh, increase the retirement bonuses to uh, 
or the pensions to previous players and really pay them the due that they're owed just because they helped create this league overall. They could beef up the, uh, the healthcare services that they provide, um, you know, create more of an infrastructure overall. They could also, you know, if they have this investment wing of it, then they can go out and create other businesses on top of their business. They could buy all the uh, manufacturing for their apparel and merchandising and streamline that. If they have that streaming service, they've got that. They could cut out the middleman of the ticketing services. They could potentially become their own sports book because they would be able to back the uh, the bets being put up. Like the, the 50 billion injection creates so many more financial opportunities. And if the players are willing to basically look at that as an investment, as opposed to money now, because you'd still be splitting up $25 billion and salaries would maintain. And then you could do the dividend payout as a percentage of like, so if you were a max player, you'd be giving up X and you would accrue those. It's like, you know, your shares so that when there's uh, a payout, you get a percentage of what you invested back into this overall company and the financial structure that you create would be massive, just utterly massive. Then you could weather any kind of storm, um, whether they say, oh, there's a viewership maybe up or down, um, live attendance, like on a year like COVID, if there's another outbreak like this, you have all these other uh, revenue streams coming in and it just makes it a more bulletproof uh, business idea. And that, I mean, that, that comment alone sent me down just a mental wormhole of like, wow, think of the, the financial ramifications of what you could do with that and how many lives you could affect. Cause there's now not going to be any more stories of player played, X number of years in the league, and then within two years of leaving, they're completely broke and destitute. And Jeremy Bowers brings up a point that a lot of people have. Players make too much money, in his opinion. But it comes down to free market economics. We're willing to pay for that, whether it's through viewership or uh, you know attendance or merchandise, we're putting our dollars and eyes and time and attention, and that is worth X. So I don't blame the players because they're the ones that are generating the interest, the intrigue, and the money. They're just getting what the market is offering. Um, But I know what you mean. It is crazy numbers. And I think also to be, from a PR standpoint, more palatable to the public at large if players aren't making I don't think people would bat so much of an eye at somebody of of LeBron or Kawhi or uh, Giannis or Luka or Jokic or any of those guys making that upper tier crazy over $100 million figure it's when you know the individuals that are coming off the bench are making $25, $35 million a year that there will be a public outcry and people won't be able to understand. It's just like, you know what? That's what the minimum is. That's what a you know two- to four-year contract for someone of this caliber is what the general market within the NBA dictates. I agree, but I do think it's interesting to think about what this could mean but more than likely, they're just going to do a status quo. The players that are playing now are going to take the percentage of the pie that they feel that they've earned. I just think that, um, yeah, Jeremy adds that he doesn't think a player is worth 140, let alone the 50 or the 35. I, I think some players are worth that just because of the what they actually mean to a team. I mean, think of it like this. By basketball standards Kobe did not deserve that last contract he got from the Lakers just by what he was giving on the court and the actual 
his value in terms of wins and losses, but he was worth that high number to the eyes that he would bring in, to the fan base that loved him, to the amount of money and you know attendance that he could generate for the Lakers and also for the uh, LA Live complex down there when there's a, a hot Lakers game. All those bars are full. Those restaurants are full. The uh, shops down there are generating more. It's better for the local economy when you have someone like that. Um, and so, you know, you can go. You can go and look up what LeBron meant to the economy of downtown Cleveland once he came back. You can track the financial trajectory of the local economy. So I think the guys on that caliber are worth it. And even to the spirit of a team and a city like Cleveland with LeBron, what he meant to them and gave them a sense of identity within not only the nation, but the world, this guy puts them on the map. Um, I, you know, I don't know that any person is worth $140 million, regardless of a sport or uh, occupation. But if that's what the market dictates, we live in a capitalist you know, society I'm not going to blame the players for getting that. It's a multimillionaire is less offensive to me than a multi-billionaire. That's that's just my own two cents. You know, uh, that's not what this show is about, and I don't want to get into the economics of of the inequities within the system that we have here in this country and the world at large. But you know, for the most part, but if that's what the system dictates then I'm just going to talk about the ins and outs of what that system is. Um, and Jeremy counters with those are once-in-a-generation type talent. You're right. You're right in regards to Kobe and LeBron and whatnot. But it doesn't mean that they're not worth it, and especially given the dynamics of the open market system. Uh, if you took off the, the limitations of max player salaries, I'd be really interested to see who is actually worth the money in this league. Because there'd be far fewer players making, you know, the Nets wouldn't have the three guys that they have. They wouldn't be able to afford it. And there'd be a lot more parity on some level. Um, if you took away the max salary and then also made the, the repeater tax even more stringent because certain teams just don't give a shit. So if you made it, tremendously detrimental then you'd be dispersing the superstar talent over all the teams because guys want to get paid um and you know it might it more than likely in my opinion would make the system more equitable as far as parity uh overall uh that's just a guess i need to really think about it but off the top of my head that's just my quick skim uh opinion but final on a final note on this bump is so with the current deal ending in 24-25, that's also when qualifying offers for this year's rookie class can be signed. How many of these guys will do what no rookie does, which is turn down their massive extension? I would assume any of them that are up for that, that a team is willing to do, they're going to say no because – Unless the NBA is going to allow that team to base it on the projected, you know, income coming in of the uh, TV deal. Unless that deal is inked, I don't know how you could do that. So there should be rookies, high-end caliber rookies for the first time ever, turning down their max extensions. Uh, and will they hit the free market? Um, that will be super interesting. You're Anthony Edwards. You're the mellow balls. You're, by that time, let's see how Sadiq Bey and Tyrese Halliburton or if Wiseman is rounded into shape and, and everybody else down the line. There's a lot of interesting uh, rookies this year and what their overall value or if somebody that right now is just playing okay surges, um, like Pogoshevsky or, you know, Obi Toppin or Patrick Williams or, you know, there's a lot of players out there. But something to think about. Something to think about. Um, all right. Anyway, that is – Drop a dimes for today. Uh, thank you to everybody. Um, oh, Nazir Muhammad, I just saw your comment. I'm sorry, I'm closing up. 
he has when I think uh, George Hill will suit up for the Sixers. We'll get to that. I'm going to do more of an East, I believe, next week. And uh, I talk about the East next week. But thank you to everybody that joined me in the chat. Um, it's cool to check in with everybody and somebody from Turkey all the way, um, you know, around the world. Love and hopes. It brings us together. Uh, so that is it for Dropping Dimes. If uh, if you want to follow me uh, on Twitter or Instagram, it's at Matt Nost, M-A-T-T-K-N-O-S-T. And uh, that's it. There you go. There's your Dropping Dimes for today. Stay safe out there. Stay six feet apart. Enjoy your week of NBA action. And I'll see you guys next week for another edition of Dropping Dimes. Until then, adios. Thank <laughs> you.